You make software. We're here to help you do it better. I'm Mark Littlewood. You're listening to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hey, welcome to this week's Business of Software podcast. This is Joanna Weeb, copywriter extraordinaire, talking about writing non-sucky copy. I wish 99% of the software companies in the entire universe listened or watched this talk. Your lives would be much brighter. Enjoy. I'm a copywriter over at Copy Hackers. I've been a copywriter for um, about 10 years, and um, about eight of those years, the most recent eight, I've spent writing copy for software. Um, five years, I was at Intuit writing very exciting copy for the very exciting product called QuickBooks, which is very exciting if I didn't mention that. <laughs> it's really easy to write that kind of copy. Um, and what I learned, and it may have skewed my reality a bit, but it seems to me that a lot of software, the software that makes money in particular, is um, it's kind, of, kind of boring. Um, not very exciting at all. Um, and again, if that's not you, congratulations, you win. Everybody else has really boring stuff to try to sell with their copy. Um, that's what's really doing the trick, is your copy usually, or it's not doing the trick, and that's the problem. Um, what I've found, and hopefully, hopefully this is something that resonates with you, because it's what I'm going to talk about all day, or all hour, is, um, is that the less exciting your product is, the more personality your copy needs, the less you can afford to kind of be a wallflower and sit quietly back and let everybody else do the talking while you just sit there and hope for people to come and sign up for your product. So we can't afford to be invisible. Yet a lot of us are actually quite comfortable being invisible. So I was going to call this oops, or I did call this oops, your personality is showing, but in fact, I want to call it stop saying nothing. Because from what I've seen, in and Copy Hackers, three years we've been around, and I've been working with tech startups that whole time. In that time, I've seen that there's like this hesitation to actually go out and say something, say something meaningful, right? Say something and put words on your page, like in a confident manner that actually people are likely to want to read and remember. There's just a tendency to be invisible, I found. So I was going to say, you know, say something, but that's not even bold enough. Stop saying nothing. So many of us are saying absolutely nothing, and we're feeding that to prospects who could actually pay us, but we're saying nothing to them. Pages like this get a lot of attention from people who don't want to say anything. I get a lot of people writing to me to say, Joanna, why do I need copy? Dropbox doesn't need any copy. They have three words and a button. Why can't I do three words and a button? What about Google? They have like a button, right? They've never had really much of anything at all. And I don't really entertain those conversations because it's kind of obvious what's <laughs> really going on there. But it's surprising to me that there's this like rush to say as little as you possibly can. Like if you say nothing, you win. Like we're all playing, you know, the silent game and trying to say nothing until our business just disappears, right? Um, so I want to talk today about being visible, about not disappearing, about actually saying something. Um, those people who do <laughs> put words on their page who dare to actually write copy that ends up going live and people read it, they end up saying things that are still not really saying anything at all. So I Googled to like see if I was just you know an old ornery copywriter or not. I tested this. Um, and I went and looked and thought, OK, well, I'll Google CRM or CRM software. And just look at what comes up, landing pages. I'll look on the PPC landing pages, because they're paying for traffic to come to these pages. They're going to work on the copy, right? And we get something like this. I'm going to show you a few more. But this is a lot like, OK, so I've entered the phrase CRM or CRM software. I'm searching it. Your page comes up for that, or this page comes up for that. You paid for me to click. I land here, and we're kind of having a bit of a conversation now, right? It's like meeting people at Business of Software. Um, when you're like, hi, I'm Joanna. Hi, I'm so-and-so. What do you do? And if I were to say, oh, I'm in CRM software, and you'd say, oh, what is that? Tell me about it. And I'd say, generate sales, not work. <laughs> and you'd say, what the hell is wrong with her? Like, why does she talk like that? It's a little robotic, right? It's so odd. But this is what we're doing, and not just some guys, 
everybody seems to be doing the same thing, seems to be trying really hard to say everything big and important that people care about in three to five words, six when you're really going risky. Um, these guys, it's like they're almost paying your copywriter by the word. I don't know if you guys are in a contract like that. That sounds amazing. I would love to be in that contract, but I'm not. Um, that's what these guys are doing here, right? Words are actually free. Now, getting them wrong is expensive. But if we can get them right and get some attention on our copy, then we can actually stand out, even if we're no different from our competitors, because everybody's saying the same meaningless things. The only thing actually that's good here is the subhead, where you're finally starting to hear something a bit different. NetSuite delivers what Salesforce.com and others can't. That's actually saying something. Get the CRM with a 360 degree customer view. It's not saying exactly anything. I don't know what the hell that is. Nobody knows what that is. So it's a good question to ask of your copy. Would anybody even know what I'm talking about? So stop saying nothing is what I'm going to talk about today. But because I'm talking about copywriting to a lot of engineers and people who are in software, I'm going to be referencing a lot of data, because data goes a very long way with you when we're talking about something as soft as copywriting. We're data-driven over at Copy Hackers, too, so it's all about that. But I want to talk very quickly about three academic studies, and then we'll get into some A-B tests and things like that. Um, three studies that kind of prove Prove if you can, if you can just like suspend disbelief and prove that personality in your copy can go a very long way to make an impression that could actually help your business quite a bit. So the first one, they did this study, I think it was in 2005 in Kentucky, um, where they um, found that the people for whom personality is more important, if, you, if this, any of this is true for your visitors, you should be strongly considering um, using more personality in your copy. Four things. They don't all have to be true, just one of them has to be true. Your visitors or your prospects are new to your world or new to your product. They're too busy to try it. So they might start it, they might sign up for a free trial, but they never actually do anything with it. Um, they're not excited about your product, like if it's accounting software and they're a small business. Um, or they're very far removed from trying it. Like they can't try it. They have to download it in order to try it. They can't just enter their information and suddenly they're in it, right? So for a lot of web apps, even though we want to get them in there quickly, they're a little far removed from just popping in and trying it. So if any of that is true for you, studies show that having personality in your messaging can actually go a long way here. Another one, bottled water. Okay, water is the same. Water is basic, unless you're from like a sludgy, which you can tell with a clear bottle if it's really gonna be a disgusting mess in there. But most water is exactly the same. Everybody selling water is essentially selling the same product. The inside is the same. It's all about the outside. So it's extrinsic cues. So when we're assessing a product, we think about the intrinsic and the extrinsic, or we take those two things in. Intrinsic, of course, is everything inside of it. So when you're actually using your software, those are all those cues. Extrinsic is all the stuff outside of it, including your marketing and marketing copy. Um, so if you're having a can of Coke, the extrinsic is the outside, the coldness of the can and things like that that make you start assessing the quality of the product within without even trying it if you've never tried Coke before. And then you open it and then you taste it and that's the intrinsic part. Bottle of water, same kind of thing, but inside is all exactly the same. When they took a neutral, normal bottle of water, they, the academics, when they did that and measured it against, sorry, the font is a little off on that one, um, when they put it against five other personality um, bottles of water that had these human personality traits, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, when they did that, they found that people were more likely to buy the brands that had some sort of personality they could like call human and that they were three times more likely to recall it. Now, if we're trying to stay in people's heads long after, especially if we want them to talk about us and share us, we can't be neutral. You can't afford to be neutral, especially if your product isn't that different from the next guy's. 
Final one, this won't surprise anybody, I'm sure, but our brains look for patterns, right? We look for things and we try to predict to avoid doing more work than we have to do and in order to survive. Predictability is boring. If people can tell what's coming or if it looks the same as everything else and everything they expected, they're going to be bored. That's not good. Why do you even have words on the page if not to get them read, right? Don't be predictable. Studies show not to do that. So I want to break this down into kind of two sides. Saying what your competitors won't, which we're going to talk about right away, and then kind of how to do that, right? So you can take some practical steps away in case copy is remotely interesting to you and you want to make more sales on your website. So saying what your competitors won't, OK. So at Copy Hackers, we write a lot of blog posts. And some of those go on to the Copy Hackers blog, and others go on other blogs like Kissmetrics or um, Copy Blogger. So I wrote this um, epic post on call to action buttons for Copy Blogger. Um, gave it to them. It was 5,000 words, super long, had all this great academic research and um, recent A-B tests that hadn't been published anywhere else. So you couldn't find this anywhere else. It was all fresh and brand new except for the academic stuff. Put it all together in this huge post. Copy bloggers excited, I'm excited, we're all ready, publish it, yay, it's gonna be great. Um, and of course I sign off with my byline, which is written by Joanna Weeb, creator of Copy Hackers, where startups learn to convert like mofos. And this is a word that I'm totally fine with. This is a euphemism to me, it is just a phrase, just a, just a word that we use, and that's largely because Everybody I know just uses it like a normal word. Um, you too, I walked into the song Mofo that came out like 15 years ago or something scary like that. Um, it's a word that's just become part of my vernacular. And oh, by the way, speaking of you too, this is my sister kissing Bono. If you have a picture like this, you should share it whenever you can. So I decided to. But you too, and the words they use, right, became part of who I am and the people that relate to me. So I use this word put it in there, it's all over the Copy Hacker site anyway, so it's fine for my audience. I use this, totally don't even flinch, don't think about it, nothing copy blogger, Brian Clark didn't think about it either, someone did. So that morning that we're published, the very first, <laughs> the very first comment, after 5,000 words and all of that great data, nothing but actionable great insights, I'll read it for those who can't. Um, a copywriter, some of you may know, Mr. Bob Bly, comments, first comment, is it really necessary to say mofos? Do you think that makes you cool, really young people? And so I reel for a second because I'm 34. In the startup world, I am like on my deathbed, so there's that. <laughs> but then, then it hits me that this is not actually a good thing, um, right, that he could only focus on this. If anybody knows what I'm doing when I use a word that stands out like that, it should be this veteran copywriter, right? But instead, it's the only thing that stuck. After everything I said, all that information, all that work I did, all this stuff he took away, the one thing that stuck is this word. That's what stuck. Which gets you thinking, like, hmm, okay, that's what sticks. Pretty interesting, actually. And we could go so far to take that and say, okay, well, why did it stick? What was so, why did he care? Why did he comment on this? Take the time to comment on it. And I would say that he was probably surprised. In the context of everything that was going on, suddenly it finishes with this euphemism for me, bad word for him, um, this word. And it's that surprise that's really, really powerful. Um, there was another study done using Mr. Shakespeare's words um, where it was found, and I'm not a scientist or a neuroscientist, I'm gonna use my English major words, um, but your brain lights up when, um, when, you're, when you encounter unexpected or unfamiliar words. Shakespeare's words were used in the study, and that was what was found. Your brain lights up with things that are different. We react to those things that are different. That's a very powerful thing. Now, of course, Shakespeare, I'm actually gonna talk about Shakespeare for a second, so enjoy this, um, but Shakespeare made an entire huge, amazing career, obviously, out of getting people's attention, out of getting them to notice what he was saying to pay attention to him. He's actually, you know, of course, he's a master of words, but a master of using unexpected words, 
too. These are, oh, the last one cut off a bit there, that's sanctimonious. Um, but these are some of the words that he's credited with either coining or being the first to write down. These words are not common words. These are unexpected. These are noticeable words. They're not invisible. They're not trying to fade into the background. He was trying to get your attention, and he used words that would do that, brand new ones sometimes. I mean, castigate. If you hear that word, it sounds like a bad thing that happens sometimes, right? Like it sounds, I don't want to, but right, like you can hear what it sounds like, dwindle. D and W together, right? It's a noticeable word. What's it doing at the front of a word? Dwindle, clangor. You don't even have to know what that means to get it, right? Like it's all this kind of crazy use of language, which is really powerful for us to use today too. And if you think, well, Shakespeare was allowed to do that, Joanna, we're not allowed to do that. Marshall McLuhan, great communications theorist, would say otherwise, right? We're just like those guys. We're just like the artists. In a lot of ways, we're scientists, right? We're doing things that are data-driven and stuff like that. But we're just like those other people who are trying to get your attention. We can use our words to trap people, <laughs> as bad as that sounds, but to get them to pay attention to us. Now, that's some very good advice from Mr. Marshall McLuhan, who um, everything he said was a terrific soundbite, if you've ever read any of his stuff or listened to him. Um, amazing. That's good advice. I want to share with you some pretty bad advice, though, as like a flip side to this, so we can kind of start undoing the wrongs that have been done. This is bad copywriting advice. Has anybody ever heard this about copywriting? Make it sing, make it sing, right? What are you talking about, make it sing? I had my mark, director of marketing once tell me that he was going to measure my copy against this. I managed to survive another like four years under that, but um, it was a pretty terrifying time. What's the problem with the idea of make it sing when you're writing copy that's trying to get noticed? The problem is that songs have lyrics that we can't hear. Nobody knows what's going on in a lot of the songs that we're listening to, right? So if you can't hear the words, you don't want to make it sing because we need those words. Don't make it sing. Don't. People can't make out what you're saying. Lance is adamant at Copy Actors. He's adamant that he cannot hear lyrics in songs. Don't make it sing. That's bad advice. We need people to notice us. And the, thing, the problem with those lyrics, of course, is, is the polish that comes with them. And that polish is inherently unsticky, right? All of the things we saw before, grow sales, save time, get organized, polished, very polished. I have no idea why I should care about that. And will any of that actually stick with me? Did any of this stick with you? Did you walk away saying Infusionsoft, those are the guys who help me grow sales, save time, and get organized? Of course not, right? You might later, right? But Honestly, let's be honest with ourselves. Polish isn't what people are looking for. It's what sea levels are looking for, because they don't know better, because they're too far away from the act of actually trying to convert people on our websites to get them to notice and do something. But that's not the way to go. We're not trying to please the sea level as much as they don't want to hear it. We're trying to please the prospect, obviously. So we want to avoid the things that are very familiar and very comfortable sort of phrasing. The future of blank is here. Please don't. And welcome to the new blank. These kinds of things that are patterns, right? They're predictable. Nobody even notices the last word. It could be anything, and anybody could say any of that. These are all things that I'm recommending that you avoid. And instead, try looking for things that are going, try using words that are like a thorn bush, right? Words that are there to cling to you, to catch you to make you uncomfortable, to make you notice them. Not to confuse you by like, catching you by like, being strangely confusing and you can't make sense of it, but words that you didn't expect to see. It's the unexpected that we notice, right? It's the unexpected that sticks with you a little while longer. Broken patterns, right? We get really interested in them. People love seeing something they didn't expect to see. They love it so much, we all get annoyed seeing it happen again and again. Eventually, that becomes a new pattern. Um, being different, right? You don't even have to, you don't have to actually do anything very different. You just have to stand out. Be willing to stand out and be that unexpected thing. And I'm going to, of course, tell you how to do that. But different is the only thing that stands out. You don't notice the same thing. You only notice what's different. That's how we've evolved. Now that's what I 
would have you believe, and hopefully you're coming along with me on the journey, um, but I want to kind of put it to the test. So I'm going to put a few screens up here. Can everybody at the back kind of see what's going on up here? Okay, hopefully, if your eyes are good, mine aren't. Um, I'm going to put some screens up and then just read them. Read the headlines, read the button if you want to, whatever, whatever you can, and I'll move on to the next. And the next. The next. And then back to the first. <laughs> that could have gone very badly, so I'm glad you reacted to it. <laughs> this one is not, in fact, the first. This was a test that we ran on a site called Recipe. It's in the same category as all those other sites you just saw. The control is on the left, the one we treated as the risky or uncomfortable copy that's actually trying to say something that gets noticed is on the right. Uh, the headline and the button were both changed for this, so there's a difference there between sign up now and show me outfits I'll love, which is not outrageous. 124% more people, and I think it probably had a lot to do with the fact that you might actually notice and pay attention here. You didn't just glaze over it and go by. People want to see something different. They're dying to see something different. When you look at all those other sites that we saw, you can see why that might be. Of course, <laughs> the obvious thing is I'm using these kinds of words, boobs, mofo, right? Obviously, you can't do that. You can't, if you're selling like Atlassian software, you can't put those words on your homepage. Sure, you can't. That's true, but I would say be careful because those are actually excuses. The S sorry, we had a font problem. Um, but those are excuses, right? We are just trying, oh, thank you. <laughs> you never know what font's gonna show. Okay, um, but they are, they're excuses. And the things that we say to try to keep our sea levels from like getting uncomfortable and trying to have to push them to do something differently and push ourselves to do something differently, especially since everybody else is doing the same thing, so why should we even try to be different? It's the last thing on your list of things to do, because you're safe, right? Everybody's doing the same thing. But get, right, this is all, and we use these excuses. It's not good for SEO, right? Personality, we can't put that kind of stuff in our H1. That's not good for SEO. I think that still applies, Dave. You tell me, I don't know about SEO that much. Um, conversion rate optimization. You don't, you don't make sales when you have a personality. Why should we invest in writing copy that might be paid attention to you if so rarely we see it, because nobody's really testing it, we see it actually pay off in terms of conversions? Or the very worst one that I hear all the time, so many frustrated B2B copywriters write to me and say, like, how can I tell my boss that our audience isn't as boring as he thinks they are? But there's a sense that that's what B2B copywriting is all about, right? And that's completely untrue. I would say it's untrue. You might disagree with me. But I do think that we all want to be entertained. And here's why. Harry Potter. Harry Potter should be the like, punchline to everything, I think. But Harry Potter, accountants read Harry Potter, right? Professionals, lawyers, doctors, surgeons, they all went home when Harry Potter was coming out and looked forward to reading it, to escaping with words that make us feel something differently. If we were so willing to do that in our free time, what makes us really think that people are going to be so against this when they're at work? that they actually don't want any language that's going to pull them in. They don't want that. They just want the facts. Accountants just want the facts. It's not actually true. Or we wouldn't have this huge publishing industry with people who are desperately soaking up stories that are told using interesting words. I'm going to show you a couple quick little tests that we've done with interesting words. Um, and hopefully that will help you as we move into how to get this kind of stuff done. So we did this test, um, control on the, on the left and um, the optimized, optimized one on the right. Um, not pushing things very far, right? This is for an audience that could handle this kind of language. Take the suck out of moving your files from iOS to PC. Change the button as well. About 18% more people watching the video, right? It may not have been an incredible lift, but it didn't hurt anything. 
And that's what's really important. If you're actually making excuses like we can't do that because it's going to hurt something, I haven't yet seen in a test we've done of risky or uncomfortable copy, I haven't seen a loser that was good enough where you'd be like, holy crap, we should really rethink this whole thing. For subject lines, we tested for Flow. The Flow is a project management solution by Metalab, which is a school Victoria startup. Um, we tested three subject lines for new trial users. The first email you get. Now, I'm sure a lot of people have new trial users here, and I'm pretty sure a lot of you for that subject line, for that first email that goes out to them, says either get started with blank or welcome to blank, because I have a swipe file of like a lot of these, and that's all anybody is saying. So we decided to test something a little different. We're just trying to get you to notice, right, to pay attention. So we tested, can I ask you something? Which actually, when you open the email, it does ask you a question, so it's not like a cheap teaser one. It's really, you're going to be asked a question inside, no matter which one you open. Pretty good open rate, right? If you could get 27% more people opening those new, those onboarding emails, if you could get those new opportunities actually opening your emails and doing something, 27% more, this starts to actually change businesses in small ways, but those ways that stack up. Very quick one, and this is more about kind of putting yourself out there and you don't have to have a lot of tone or personality necessarily. You just have to say something and stop saying nothing. I do not know what the one on the left is saying at all. I still can't figure it out. But when we tested that against something that was making a very clear statement where we were putting ourselves out there and stopping saying nothing and starting to say something, we saw 103% more people do something on the page. That means a reduced bounce rate, more activity, more things happening. So the idea there, from mofo through to boobs and so on and so forth, it's all about saying what your competitors wouldn't dare to say. Start there. That's a pretty safe starting point. Your competitors won't go there. You should try. Now here's how. Here's how I recommend you do it. This is what I would do if you were to engage me. This is what would happen. I'm going to show you um, a case study that's not actually for software, um, but I use it for software too. It's just a really clear example that I wanted to show you. So these are the three parts that we're going to talk about in actually getting to a point where you can feel confident that you've landed on a personality that you can put in front of people without feeling like weird about it or too uncertain about it, although it's that uncertainty that's actually the most powerful part. Competitor content audit. Has anybody ever done one of these or do you know what it is? I'm going to take that as an absolute no. Wow, okay. All right, so a competitor content audit is really, I mean, audit, I'm an English major, right? It's not going to be very technical. I don't mean to bring down English majors, but I'm just keeping it real. Um, a competitor content audit is where you have one, two, two screens open. Have your competitor's website open, and then you have like a Word doc or a PowerPoint. I have like the free template for this on our site if you want to go check it out. Um, and you just go through your competitor's sites just to see what they're saying and how they're saying it. You're not going to copy anything they do. Not at all. You're just trying to be informed by what your prospects may be seeing out there in the market when they're looking for solutions like yours. So we did this for something called Beachway, which is a rehab center out of Florida. And rehab centers have a lot on the line, right? About $20,000 a bed a month. So you don't want empty beds. You want people waiting and hopefully getting in quicker. So they hired me at Beachway, not these guys, um, to optimize the copy on their site. And I went through, as part of this content audit, I went through their competitors' sites. I went through like a dozen of them. And I audited it for what they were saying and how they were saying it, the tone, the personality. What they were saying was one thing. They were all saying the same thing, of course. But I found that they were all kind of saying it in the same way. Like, I'll read this out to you. It's a little blurry. Top of the World Ranch Treatment Center has designed what we understand to be the most balanced, congruent, and highly effective addictions treatment program that is available anywhere. With a read more button, because you're going to read more after that. <laughs> so they had this sort of style saying a lot, and then another, this sort of thing, where they started to start, sound a bit um, like clinical slash floral, which is a little <laughs> strange to have as a combination. But they were all saying the same thing again in the same way that got me thinking like, 
it's a rehab center. It's, um, it's talking to addicts and the families or loved ones of addicts. Is this how they talk? Is this the way they expect to be talked to? And when you go through these pages, by the way, there are paragraphs all in the same tone. I could not believe that this was the way to talk to people, but everybody was doing it. Everybody was, without exception, everybody was talking to the addicts and their families the exact same way, which got me to think about a key question we should always be asking. Is that how their prospects actually talk? Is that how they want to talk? So we should either be talking to people as they are today or as they want to be. The aspirational self, if you're selling that aspirational self, which they definitely were. Okay, but how do you find out? How do you find out if that's how they talk? Maybe it is. We have to go find out. Very hard to do for a rehab, right? Because you've got addicts coming in in one state, hopefully going out in a better state, but it's such an emotional journey. There's so much to it. If anybody has ever tried interviewing addicts, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, so it wasn't, which doesn't hopefully say anything I don't mean for it to say, um, but it was a very, it's an emotional process, right? And it's hard to get down to the true tone and the way people would actually talk. So I couldn't do that. Instead, I did step two. Doing interviews are fantastic, strongly recommended, obviously, as much as you can, but some of us can't actually get out there and talk to our customers, unfortunately. I know jobs to be done is gonna change that for everybody, of course, but um, we can't, and we don't often go out and talk to people and do these interviews. Um, we may not survey people, or if we survey them, we get like kind of crappy data that they sent back to us where they just type in, you know, like rude things sometimes or whatever. It's hard to get good voice of customer data. But, there's a smart cut or shortcut, whatever you want to call it, um, where you can go and look online at wherever your prospects are talking, where they're talking anonymous, anonymously, hopefully, but where they're being natural and not limited to 140 characters. So Amazon reviews are a really great place to go. TripAdvisor reviews, depending on what you're trying to sell. Um, there's usually a review for what you're trying to sell. If it's a service, there's a book on that subject with reviews for that book. And of course, in this case, for this um, Beachway, there, was, there were a lot of books on dealing with addicts, on living with addicts, on being addicted, on trying to overcome alcoholism, drug addiction, lots. So I went through six book reviews. I didn't read the books, that wasn't the important part. I'm looking through, well, um, I'm looking through the reviews only and taking what you see there and this is an exercise that I recommend you do and if you hire copywriters get them to do it if it's not you that's doing the writing go through and mine that stuff for the really good information that you would hopefully get in an interview but you can't actually get otherwise so memorable phrases that they're saying in the reviews um, what they want it's amazing what people reveal about themselves and what they were really looking for and hoping for when they're leaving a review of a product or a service slash book um, and then of course what people were really in pain over and what they were really mad about so I went through these went through all hundreds of reviews um, and I ended up landing on this one phrase that kind of it stuck stood out to me it stuck it was saying something different than anything else was in a different way if you think you need rehab you do it's not clinical it's not floral it was very direct and sincere it wasn't pandering it wasn't patronizing it was just saying if you think you need rehab you do and when you compare it to what else was going on out there, to me, it stood out. And it was written by a recovering uh, um, alcoholic, so it was actually in their normal, general language, the way they actually speak. And I hate to say they, but I'm not actually um, a recovering alcoholic. Um, so we tested it against the control, your addiction ends here, which isn't really saying anything. Um, with If you think you need rehab, you do. When we tested it, we saw over 400% more people click that orange button. And on the next page, where they had to fill in the form to become a lead, 26% more completed leads, no more empty beds. If you think you need rehab, you do. It was the tone that they needed to hear. It was the same message, really, that a lot of people were saying. It was just actually saying it in real language, in real words that get sticky, that you can relate to. They speak like you do. Now, 
it's maybe a little easy. I've been writing copy for 10 years, so I get familiar, maybe I pick up on tone. Um, but we saw these humanizing brand personality characteristics earlier today. It's called Acker's Brand Personality Scale. Is anyone familiar? Jennifer Acker? No, okay. Um, that's fine. Nobody cares about copywriting. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that's not true. Okay, but there are these five characteristics that brands can have, um, and they map to our human personalities. So you can be sincere, competent, excited, sophisticated, or rugged. Um, surprisingly, those are the five of them. Um, but when you're going through, if you decide to do this and you go through and you mine reviews for that interesting data, the things that your prospects are saying or people who could have been your prospects are saying, um, if you're not sure what the tone is, try mapping it to one of these. And that could help you then if you say, okay, well, they sounded, they all sounded very sincere, so maybe our tone should be sincere. Or they like people who sound sincere, so let's hypothesize that they want us to sound the same way. We're going to write copy that way. We're going to at least test it and see if it proves out. This is a pretty good shortcut for getting to that point of finding the personality that will keep you from having to say mofo and boobs and all those other words that you're not ready to say. Words that have personality and meaning, but they're not actually pushing things in the wrong direction for your prospects. The important part there that we're not really talking about is that People like to do business with people who are like them. We hear that a lot, right? The more people see and hear themselves in your copy, the more they're likely to like you. And likability is, of course, a very persuasive thing. If you've read Cialdini, of course, you'll know that. Finally, final thing to do here, if you're going to go through this exercise, is to, I was going to call this take risks. But a lot of the time, we actually think we're taking risks when we're writing like really kind of sad copy that no one's going to notice. Um, instead, try writing for your prospect when it's a very early morning slash late, late night. Write to wake your prospect back up. That's when you're probably taking the right level of risk, at least a level of risk worth testing. Some ways to do that. Now, there are lots of ways. This is kind of a good way to get through this. So one, start by being clear. So when I say something like you should write with personality, we tend to like start and just like aim for the final results, like to have some really crazy personality. Um, but don't start down at the end. Start just by being completely clear with what you're trying to say. People respond very well to clear as a starting point, using short words. And then from there, start sprinkling in those unexpected words, those phrases that you see your prospects using, the sticky copy that sticks out to you breaking familiar patterns, using, using really short sentences and fragments as well. And this is copied over from um, the creative writing world. But skip the parts that your prospects would skip. So if you're going through your copy and you find yourself glazing over part of it, cut it. It doesn't belong on there. If you put crazy egg on one of your pages or any heat mapping, scroll mapping tool, and you see where they're not paying attention, where it's very cool, Test cutting that. Do an exclusion test there, right? Cut the stuff that's not going to keep them awake and keep them engaged. People don't want to be bored. It's very easy to get there. Now I'm going to finish this up with um, a very short little case study. Um, I wrote, is anybody familiar with Neil Patel's Quick Sprout system? Yeah. Okay, so I wrote the drip campaign for that, where when you first sign up, before you buy it, the whole sales process that gets you, gets you to buy it. Um, I wrote that campaign for him, and the first email in that series has this subject line. Now, you've signed up to get a free ebook on how to get traffic and another free ebook on how to convert it, and we have to get those both out to you in this email and get you to actually care and hopefully open them and read. So I wrote this to try to get people's attention for one and then connect with them, right? Grab their attention or else you're probably not going to ever be able to convert them. Um, so it's boom, this is how you get traffic and convert it. Now when I wrote this, I felt uncomfortable about it. I don't like aggressive sales tactics. I don't like people who talk in that like fist pumping way, no offense if you do, right? I don't mean I won't like you, but like this like this like bro stuff, I just I don't I don't do it. Um, but when I wrote this, I thought, okay, well let's try it because maybe that's how Neil's audience does go about this, right? Maybe they're cool with that based on the tone and the comments on his post, okay, maybe they'll be okay with that. Um, so I wrote it, put it out there, and then I just like hid my head in the sand because I was pretty sure this was not going to do anything good. It didn't feel right to me. Um, so six months later, 
um, this just last August, I decided to go in and I was thinking about it and I went into the tool and um, I was about to change it. Just like <laughs> delete it, try something that wasn't so like aggressive. Um, so I went in, I actually started writing over it and then before I hit publish on it, I thought, like, Joanna, like, go look at the data just to be sure, right? Like, how bad is this? You have a new one here now. How bad is this? So I went and I looked. <laughs> and it's a good thing I didn't delete it. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. I can't reveal the list size, but this is a big list of people. And it has 104% open rate on that one email. 104%. So maybe everybody's opening once, right? Or they're opening <laughs> once plus more times, or they're forwarding it, or whatever it might be. But there's a lot of opening happening here. And we were just going to delete it. Right? I was going to get rid of it and try something different. It was risky. It was scary. It didn't make me feel comfortable. But it was also visible. People noticed it, and they reacted to it. They did something based on it. That's how to write non-sucky copy. The big kind of picture thing being, right, that like you're not gonna, don't be silent, don't be invisible. As hard as it is when your mom your whole life said, stop trying to get so much attention, start trying to get attention. Your words can do that. You don't get bonus points for being quiet. This isn't the silent game. At least that's my perspective on it. I hope that helps. not-for-profit that uh, helps entrepreneurs. One of the things that we do is a pitch clinic. Mm. And have you found or worked with anybody who's trying to kind of refine their pitches, like sales pitches or VC presentations, where you could apply some of these same principles? Yeah, I mean, it always depends on your audience, of course, right? Which is why I say go see how your prospects are talking, right? So when you're pitching, it's something perhaps very different, but a lot of times it's going back to your value prop. But, but introducing tone or something that people can engage emotionally with and rather like being kept at arm's length, which most of our copy is trying to do, is like let's not be too intimate too soon. Um, but if you can get there and push through it, it's worth testing, right? If, if, if all you're trying to do is get people's attention um, for starting point, as a starting point, right? And then from the pitch, make sure it's a good pitch. But if they don't pay attention to begin with, um, then your pitch is kind of crap, right? Like it's not gonna, it's white noise, they won't even hear it. Um, so sure, you can apply the principles, I would say. Um, of course, just do it with your audience in mind, always with your audience in mind. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Did you worry about plagiarizing when you were analyzing the Amazon reviews and how, it, would that have been a problem, uh, you know? How did you yeah. make sure, or did you care about making sure that you didn't use exactly someone's words no, who it might I have been creepy? Care. I'm actually okay. super surprised. I get that question every time really? I say this. I have never even considered that someone who leaves a review on a book will land on this site and say, that's my copyrighted material, is it? Because it's like publicly produced and shared, um, right? And a lot of times we're swiping pieces of it, right? And there's copyright on like how much you're allowed to use before it's actually a problem. Um, we're not taking full sections and writing a page out of it. Not that that would actually be that bad of an idea. It might actually be a good starting point sometimes for writing your whole page. Um, but I, I haven't worried about that and I've never ran into anything um, or run into anything. If you do, tell me because I would be floored by it. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Hi, Hi, Alethea from Skimlinks. Um, in my office is an eternal debate about capitalization of the first letter of words. Oh. I hate it, but yeah. so many of my team think, oh, no, no, that's the effective way that you write copy. What's your thoughts? And you know what I mean? Like when the first letter of each word is Like title case? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Really? Sorry. But, but, it's not, <laughs> but it's not natural. It's not natural. No, no. I do for headlines, um, cross, like centered headlines and crossheads. But then there's times with, like, if your site feels a little too modern or your audience is like, they would think like that looks old or something, then I've lowercase too for Metalab, for Flow. I lowercased all the crossheads because their audience is like designerly. Um, and so they might not respond well to that. But um, what about email subjects? I mean, even email subjects, I lowercase. I even lowercase the first word, right. like for mine, if I can. And we get really good open rates, thankfully, at Copy Hackers. Um, but the first, like for a subject line, right, you're trying to look like 
someone trustworthy like a friend. So friends don't title case their subject lines, right? And they rarely use the right punctuation or capitalization at all. So for subject lines, I think like throw all those rules out. And however their friends are likely to write to them is how you should write your subject line is what I say. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I'm Steve with under 10. Um, how do you protect good copy from CEOs, CMOs, salespeople, and other amateurs? Uh, they're not amateurs. They're the ones that know. Testing is a great thing if you can test without them noticing. Um, we, I had, I worked at, um, I mentioned I worked at Intuit, and we had a very senior leader review a sales page I wrote and say, we're not going with this. It's fear-mongering. And I was like, okay, it's fear-mongering, fine. But we slipped it out, um, and we <laughs> tested it anyway. I don't know how it happened. Um, and um, no, and we, we, the forecast, it doubled forecast, right? So we ended up doing really good things. And of course, nobody told him that, but that could be data that we would use then going forward. <laughs> without making, making sure he didn't know that. But, um, but tests go a long way, right? If you can convince them to test it, which is all we do, we only test things um, except for that one subject line because the autoresponder tool didn't let us. Um, but outside of that, if you can test it, right, that's a really good way to get them on board. If they won't listen to testing, I don't know what they're doing in software especially, right? That's what I think. Does that help? <laughs> Hi, Joanna. Aaron Hickok with User IQ. Hi. I was wondering if you could give us some examples of companies that are able to pull off professional with personality really well. Yeah, um, some rely a lot on their design, like MailChimp. I think a lot of people, when they think about voice and tone and copywriting, they think MailChimp. Of course, if you read any of MailChimp's copy, they've really, and I talked to Katie, their lead copywriter, too. Um, they don't put much actually in there, but they rely on everything around it, all those other extrinsic cues to, to help people feel something about their product. You know, the chimp goes a long way. Zendesk, though, has been doing a lot of really cool stuff, too, where their copy is actually more interesting. Their homepage headline isn't necessarily, because homepages are a very scary thing, and everybody's got their hands in it, right? And so it's hard to agree on a personality there. Um, but in other landing pages, um, their, their copy is very tonal and interesting, I think. So. It was Lewis from Archon. So um, I guess you kind of answered the question, but I guess I'll reiterate it. Usually, as a brand, when you're building a brand, a product, or a company, there's an overall uh, personality that you want to convey. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, when you're trying to increase the numbers on, your, on that one single page, the tone that's used show higher numbers, but it kind of steer away from the general personality that the brand is trying to build towards. Uh, how do you kind of balance that? Like... I can see if the tone is pushing the brand to a place that doesn't actually make sense from like a strategic perspective. But if it's just different from what the brand manager had in mind, but people are responding really well to it, like we're not trying to please the brand manager, right? Which is hard for them to, I think I'm getting your question right. If your users or visitors are responding well to it and it's winning, um, and hopefully, I guess the question is, is it winning in the short term and long term or just initially, right? Are you, if you got good retention or is it just you had more signups with that? Um, so there's that question to ask. But um, if, it, if it differs from the brand, it could help actually shape your brand to where your prospects are saying it needs to go. It's what they respond well to. Um, I don't, as a copy, copywriters and brand directors, have problems um, because typically, typically things that work for the brand, unless it's great personality that's the right one, typically um, copy is a little different from what a brand director really wants. Um, I've found that at least. Sales copy, brand directors don't seem to like. Does that help at all? Yeah? Okay. Hi. Hi, Natalie from Wildbit. I just wonder if you test the actual conversion. So sometimes, like the people who click on boobs might mm. not actually be interested in buying. <laughs> so like, what? Really? No. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Very profound. Um, yeah. No. So in that case, um, so I believe that every element has one job. So sometimes there's a fluke where you do like if you need rehab, you do, and on the next page you get completed leads, right? So that's great. Um, but I think that a headline has one job, and that's to keep you there. And a button has one job, and that's to get clicked. And you can only ask an element to do as much as is its obvious job. So if we change a headline, 
um, on a home page, and then we expect it to somehow impact a conversion that's several steps down the road. That's a fluke if it does, and generally it won't. So I tend to, when we're running tests, um, we look first and foremost at um, the thing that's most that it's meant to do. What's the goal for that headline, and measure it against that. And the job isn't to close them. If it was a headline that was further down and closer to the actual conversion funnel, um, then, I, then we would test all the way through, but I didn't for that. But, but it's interesting that for if you need rehab, you do, it did work. Now, for the Drasipi one, where it was the boobs and stuff like that, that is how we followed the same process. That's how their prospects were talking to um, about their own bodies. So we have reason to believe that it would continue to produce well, and that test we haven't, like it only ended about a month ago, um, so we don't know if those are trial users are gonna turn into paying customers. Hi, uh, Matt Wensing, Risk Pulse. Um, I'm gonna try to phrase this the right way. So uh, B2C, I think it's a little bit more obvious to me how to be uh, eye-catching or interesting or funny, humorous, those things. Um, we sell a product where our ideal customer is senior vice president, at least vice president of Fortune 500s, and. Yeah. It's a pretty mission critical application. Yeah. Um, I do want to have personality, but at the same time, I'm kind of thinking that if they go check us out and we come across as anything other than like industrial grade, North of Grumman kind of yeah. thing, then they're going to say this isn't the right company for us. Yeah. So how do you develop an enterprise personality? Yeah, and again, it's not about having, it's not about saying mofo or anything like that. It's really not. Those are just examples to like pull you towards something, but it really is about, okay, how do they talk, but how do they actually talk? Not assumptions, um, not things that we think, oh, they're a VP, they only talk this way. Um, but how, how do they really, going and listening, if you have to eavesdrop on them in conversations, right? Listening in to see like how they naturally speak. Um, and that's where your tone or your personality comes from, because you want them to see themselves on the page, not you as the copywriter, right? You want them to see themselves there or their better selves. Um, and so if you can do that, then you can only do that really by sounding like they are or like they want to sound. And so the tone would have to match that. But the point is to not be quiet about it, not be like timid and scared of going somewhere with your tone. But if you know how they talk, do it confidently and actually say something in it. Like the keep and share, where they were kind of not saying anything. And then when we said eliminate 99% of your paper files and we committed to saying something that we knew they wanted to here, um, that was a, that was type of tone. It was just more of a direct sort of tone um, where it's boldly saying something. Okay. Hi, I'm Ariel from Axosoft, um, and our product's tagline is the number one Scrum software, and we have been using that as a headline. The thought mm -hmm. being that it implies that we're credible and mm -hmm. used often. How effective have you found those types of headlines, and is there any way to incorporate that that is maybe a little more flavorful? Yeah, um, we use that at Intuit for a while there, the world's number one accounting software, I think. And for audiences, certain audiences, it goes a long way, right? If you're not sure who the world's number one accounting software is now, you know, if you care, <laughs> that's another thing. Um, and it, but it did, it performed well in tests. So if it's performing well, you may not need, because you're actually then saying something. You're not saying nothing. But the question is, do people really believe that? And what does that mean? How was it measured, right? So that kind of headline would open up a lot of questions. I think, um, that you have to support really quickly to not lose credibility. But yeah, ways to personalize it. If it's like Scrum software, right, like, or Scrumming, like you, you're um, talking to engineers, obviously, right, and people who have a certain way of talking, who like to believe that they don't respond well to marketing messages or personality and things like that. Um, but I beg to differ. Um, so, but you can do things if you're talking in ways that, if you wanted to be more playful, right, you could do their pop culture references that are, you know, true for them, right? Like, um, uh, with the Drasipi one, we finished that line with a bit of a pop culture reference where we said, um, just the way you are, um, like, for your women's bodies, we like you just the way you are, exactly as you are, like, like Mark Darcy said and Bridget Jones, right? So you can play with those kinds of things. If they hit them, if they get it, cool. If they don't get it, probably no harm. But there's ways, perhaps, that you could, like, pull in something like that. Does that help? Okay, cool. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.